at the beginning of John 6, we read a very famous account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And um, the Bible says that a great crowd of people had followed Jesus to, um, to a place because they'd seen him perform miracles or they'd heard that he'd been performing miracles and they wanted to get close to him. And um, Jesus then knows the crowd are hungry. He multiplies five loaves and two fish into enough food to feed 5,000 people. And there was some food left over. And then the Bible says that Jesus then slips away from this crowd because he knows that they have a motive where they want him to become king. Um, because they want him to, to overthrow the Romans and the Roman occupation that was going on at that time. And then the crowd, they realize that he has disappeared and they go looking for him. And that is where we get to John 6, 24 to 37. So if you've got your Bibles, um, please feel free to open them. So John 6, 24 to 37. It says... Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. And those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Sorry, that's a bit dramatic, wasn't it? <laughs> okay, so, so all of us, we are all in search of life in some way or another, okay? It's within our human nature to look for things and to consume things with an aim of feeling fulfilled and satisfied. So, if we were to ask the question, this big question, how do I have the most fulfilling and satisfied life? What do we do with a question like that? Well, we can take it to Google. So, I googled this question because I wanted to see what was going to come up and there is loads and loads of bits of research and suggestions to the answer to this question. And I clicked on an article and it said five ways research says will make you feel more satisfied in life. Okay, so number one, having close friends. So research suggests that having a lot of close friends boosts life satisfaction by nearly 20%. Number two, 
have a life story. So apparently, research says that people who write their story down and share it with others are 10% happier with their lives. This one puzzles me, because surely it depends on what is in your life story. But <laughs> number three, have goals. So research says that people who set goals and continue despite setbacks are nearly 20% more satisfied with their lives. Number four, money isn't the answer. The more materialistic people are, research suggests the less satisfied they are with their lives. And number five, Keep growing, changing, and learning. So research says that people over the age of 50 who said they continued to learn about topics that interested them are 18% more likely to feel satisfied with their lives. So the reason that there is so much research out there on stuff like this and loads of articles, the reason is because as humans, we are desperate to know what the key is to having a good life, a satisfying life. But, you know, we will never find the answer to that question in this world. And we'll never find the answer to that question on Google either. And we will only find it in Jesus. And that is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about bread. So when Jesus talks about bread... Oh, I touched the fly. <laughs> Sorry. When Jesus talks about bread, he, he's using it as a metaphor for what it is that we personally go to for that satisfaction, for that fulfillment, you know, what it is that we go to, to to get a life out of. And there's many, many examples of what our bread is that we could find in the world. So for the sake of this talk, we're going to call it worldly bread, okay? So there's many examples of what our worldly bread could be, and it's different for all of us. So for example, power. Um, a desire for money, sex, spending all your time on social media, holidays, addictions, a need for acceptance, materialism. They, you know, they are things that you, we could consume, things we could idolize, things we could think a lot about, things that take up a lot of time. Um, they are things we could obsess over. There, there are so many things that our worldly bread could be. And some bread like this is sinful. It is just completely sinful from the outset. And God is just like, do not even go near that because it will harm you. For example, addictions, drugs, pornography, stuff like that. God is just like, do not even go there. And then there are some other things that in themselves um, that could be our worldly bread. They're not sinful. Uh, for example, a desire for, for marriage and family there is obviously nothing wrong with having that desire. That's a really beautiful thing to want, and that's a, a God-given thing to want. But if you think that you won't find life until you've got it, that's when Jesus is saying that we've got our priorities wrong, and that desire could turn sinful. So whatever it is that you are feasting on for life, that is your bread, okay? So maybe you're feasting on Jesus. Maybe you're feasting on worldly things. Maybe you're trying to do both. But the number one thing that we should be feasting on and the number one thing that we should be going to for our satisfaction and for our needs to be met, you know, to experience life in all its fullness is Jesus. It's a relationship with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And when he says that, he's saying, come to me. You know, don't go to anything worldly. It will not satisfy like I do. So many of us here will be Christians. And um, many of us will, will believe in Jesus. We will believe that Jesus brings life. We'll believe that Jesus meets our, our needs more than anything in this world. But so often that doesn't stop us from living in a worldly way, you know, from, from consuming the world's bread, you know, from going after worldly things in search of life. And I've been really challenged this week as I've been, uh, I've been putting together this talk and I've been researching and looking into the theology behind this passage that we're, we're looking at this evening. And I, I've been really challenged because I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the bread of life. And I believe that he gives me a life that I could never get from anywhere else. But I felt very convicted while doing preparing for this talk because I've realized that despite having a relationship with God, you know, it still hasn't stopped me from searching for life in worldly things at the same time. And that's exactly what this crowd were doing in this passage that we've just read. So in John 6, 25 to 27, we've just read it. Jesus has just fed the crowd of 5,000. They go looking for him. And they, it says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are not looking for me because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So this crowd of people... They believed, the majority of them, they believed that Jesus was the Son of God. They believed that he, there was something life-giving about him. They, they believed that he was a miracle worker. You know, they'd, they'd seen his miracles or they heard, they'd heard about his miracles. And, and they believed that he was the Messiah that had been prophesied about in the Old Testament that they'd been waiting for. They wanted him to be king. They followed him because they just wanted to be near him. They were drawn to him. And, and that's what we believe, isn't it? We believe that stuff. And then Jesus fed them. He fed them the loaves and the fish. And then the reason that they went searching for him was because they became more interested in the free food that he gave them than the message of life that he was offering them. You know, they became more concerned with their physical hunger and meeting their physical needs than the needs of their hearts and their souls. And Jesus knew this. He said, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. So Jesus is there. He's offering them life. He's offering them a relationship with God. You know, he's offering them everything that the world could not offer them but they were just more concerned about what they could get from him. They were more concerned about meeting their own needs in a really just a selfish way. And they were there like, got any more free bread? And then a further conversation happens between Jesus and the crowd. And the crowd, they ask Jesus for a sign that he is the bread of life like he's saying he is. 
which is very ironic considering they have just seen him multiply five loaves and two fish into enough food to feed 5,000 people. And uh, Jesus is there and he's saying, you know, will you stop thinking about your physical needs? You know, stop thinking about your stomachs. I am not talking about giving you actual bread, he's saying. He's saying, I am the bread. And in John 6, 41 to 70, the conversation continues. So this is past what we've just read. And Jesus is explaining to them that he's not come just to improve their life, but to give them life in all its fullness. He's saying, I am all you need. You know, turn from the worldly stuff that meets your needs and I will meet your needs. And he says, do not work for food that spoils. So he's talking about worldly bread, whatever their worldly bread is. Do not work for food that spoils. Because that satisfaction you get from it will always run out. And you know, if we find life in the things that perish which is all worldly things. Jesus is saying we will never, ever be filled. We will always be disappointed. And Jesus is just like, come on, guys. I can give you eternal life. And he says that we will never be dissatisfied with it. He says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But it's not that he's just saying that he is better then whatever the stuff is in the world that we go to, he's not just, he doesn't just give us a better life. He's saying that without him and the life that he could give, only death lies ahead for us. You know, in the same way that, if, that, that we would physically die without physical food to, as, as sustenance, you know, we will spiritually die without him as our spiritual bread. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, you know, come to me for ultimate life, but you will need to give up your worldly bread in order to do it. And in John 6, 60, it says that on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And in John 60, 66, it says, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And when I read this, you know, this bit about the disciples just turning away from him, I was just thinking, oh my, like, I was just praying. I was like, God, these people, they were so stupid. You know, how could they be so ignorant to do that? You know, Jesus is there in the flesh, in person, and he's offering them this life. And they're just rejecting it because they don't want to sacrifice their worldly bread. And God just challenged me, and he was like, Abby, you do that too sometimes. And I was like, whoa, okay, I feel convicted. And, um, you know, I think personally, and I think as disciples, just like the crowd, you know, we can get into this habit of, you know, taking from Jesus what we want. And, and you know, just being a Christian in a way that suits us. And at the same time, we just take the bread from the world that we want and, you know, just doing what it is that we want in the world that satisfies rather than getting that from Jesus. And then we still are calling ourselves disciples at the same time. This crowd that Jesus was talking to, you know, they had what they needed to stay alive. It was, in, it was within their reach, but they just failed to consume it. 
And we do that too sometimes. And, you know, we don't have to turn our backs on God forever like some of these, um, some of these people did. You know, there are some times when we might turn our backs on God for a day and we're like, actually, God, I'm just going to go off into the world and I'm just going to go do this for a day because I know you're not going to approve of it and I want to go to the, the world to meet my needs and I'll come back to you tomorrow. Or we might do it as, actually, God, I'm just going to pop away for a few minutes to do this thing that I know that you're not going to like and then I'll come back to you. And we can get into this habit of flitting back and forth from doing that. And I was, um, I've thought of a few examples of when people could do that. So here's some examples, okay? You believe what God says about you is more important than what other people say about you, yet you still go to others for affirmation instead of to God. You believe Jesus can heal the emotions you feel, but you frequently decide to numb the emotions with a glass of wine instead. You've been a Christian for years and you take your faith seriously, but you regularly watch pornography online in secret. Your relationship with God is high up on your list of priorities, but success in your job is your priority number one. You know Jesus gives you rest, but after a long day of work and kids, you frequently decide to watch hours of Netflix instead of spending time with God and going to him for rest. I do this a lot. And uh, sometimes I think we don't realize that we're going to the world to meet our needs instead of God. And uh, these things, when we do this, it can be very subtle. And it's very, I think it's very easy and it's very common for us to live self-centered lives where we don't take the gospel seriously. You know, we don't live as sacrificially as we should do. And we can live with one foot in the gospel and one foot in the world because we don't want to sacrifice whatever our worldly bread is. And there is a spiritual battle that is going on all the time. It's all around us, and it surrounds us. And the enemy is tempting us away from Jesus meeting our needs, constantly tempting us away from going to Jesus for life. And instead, he's trying to push worldly things on us, you know, trying to push worldly bread on us to feast on instead of Jesus. Constantly dangling worldly bread in front of us, you know, bread that is attractive, bread that involves instant gratification, bread that if you eat it, you might look cool to the rest of the world. You know, it might help you fit in. You know, it may seem that at the time that you eat it, there is no sacrifice required. Unlike when we follow Jesus. And um, there is so many spiritually damaging and dangerous things that are embedded within our culture and our society that the enemy uses within this battle. You know, he uses as worldly bread to tempt us to consume. And um, things that are seen as very, very normal within our culture. And a really good example of this is pornography. So we've been talking about pornography in youth recently with the older youth. And um, we've been talking about how in our culture we are surrounded by influences that make it seem that it's okay. Influences, people, the media, social media, TV. It is surrounding us. And the statistics around it are pretty terrifying. And I'm going to share with you some of the statistics that uh, we've, we shared with the young people. So 
25% of all internet searches are pornography related. The average age of first exposure to pornography is 10 to 11 years old. One pornography site, just one, had 42 billion visits in 2019, which is an average of 115 million visits a day. And just so we can understand what 115 million is, um, that is the equivalent to the populations of Canada, Australia, Poland, and the Netherlands combined every single day going on just one website. And that is just one example of worldly bread. You know, that is that a huge amount of people go to to get life out of. You know, that it is part of this spiritual battle that the enemy is trying to push people towards to pull them away from Jesus. Social media, that is another really good example um, of worldly bread that's within this spiritual battle. So in our culture... Social media is a place where people will go for advice. People go to see what body image should look like. People will go there for a sense of belonging, to make relationships, to build relationships, to compare their lives with other people. And I'm not, I'm not saying that social media is sinful like pornography is, but you know, if we abuse it and we don't use it responsibly, it could be just as damaging and dangerous. There is some research that came out recently, and it said that the average person globally spends 145 minutes on social media a day. So if you live to the age of 73, that means that 5.7 years of your life have been spent on social media. And I, you know, I read that, and I was just like, oh, like, I have to start taking responsibility for the hours that I spend scrolling pointlessly on my phone through social media. You know, the, and I need to start taking responsibility for the reasons that I'm on there in the first place. You know, what, what is it that I'm going to social media for that I actually need to go to Jesus for instead? And I need to start being disciplined more. You know, I need to start leaving my phone in one room and taking my Bible into a different room and spending time with God without my phone there as a distraction, without my notifications going off, without me going to check something and then ending up on social media for another hour. You know, we have to, we have to take responsibility and we, we have to be aware of the spiritual battle that's going on around us. The enemy knows all of our weaknesses. He knows what worldly bread we're likely to give into. And we need to be on guard for that. And we need to be disciplined around the things that whatever our worldly bread is in order to not fall into consuming it. You know, when I'm on my deathbed, hopefully as a very old lady, I am... Um, <laughs> Yeah, hopefully older than 73. Um, you know, I don't want to look back on my life and think, oh, I've, I've wasted 5.7 years of my life on social media. You know, I want to look back on my life and think, I've used 5.7 years of my life wisely, you know. And the thing about worldly bread is that people go to it in search for life. Whatever that bread is to you, you're going there in search for life. But worldly bread... Not only does it not bring life, it also has the power to damage life as well. 
And these two, what we've just shared, they're, they're good examples of that. You know, but why, why are we going to things that are damaging? You know, why are we risking so much spiritually when Jesus has so, something that's so much better for us? And um, it, I was really challenged while I was doing this as well. Because, you know, it doesn't matter how much we believe that Jesus is the bread of life. We have to experience it for ourselves. It says in Psalm 34, verse 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, he wants us to experience him as the bread of life. He wants us to experience the life that he has for us, this amazing bread that he has to offer us. You know, not just to believe it, not just to believe that he brings life, but to experience it firsthand. So James and I, we love eating steaks, okay? Especially with garlic butter. That's my favorite. And let's just pretend for a minute that we have in our fridge at home the best steaks in the whole world, okay? Let's pretend they're sat at home in our fridge. We know they're there. We know that they taste amazing. We've heard they've ta- they taste amazing. But until we experience eating them, the fact that we know that they taste good is actually pretty worthless and irrelevant to us. We have to taste it to, for that to actually be worth something to us. And the same goes for God. It doesn't matter how much we know our Bibles. doesn't matter how much we know theology. doesn't matter how much we know that Jesus is the bread of life. It is worthless unless we taste him, unless we experience him, unless we have that relationship with him. It says in John 6, 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. So once we experience him, that is when we experience life. And once we taste him, once we've had that experience, once we've tasted and we've seen that he is good, we realize that there is nothing worldly that is as good as him. So let's just pretend for a minute that um, I'm really hungry, okay? And I really fancy that cheapy wafer ham that I have at home in the fridge. That would never happen. But let's just, let's just pretend. And that, so I'm, I'm thinking about the cheapy wafer ham. If you then put one of those amazing steaks in front of me, which one am I going to want to eat? I'm going to want the steak, aren't I? You know, I'm not going to want that ham anymore. Now I've eaten the best steak in the world. I am not ever going to want that ham. That ham can go in the bin for all I care. And, you know, in the same way, once we experience firsthand the life that Jesus offers, the, the salvation he offers, the relationship that we have with him, we're not going to want to go to that worldly bread anymore. You know, we're not going to want to go to those worldly things that we've, we've been going to because none, nothing can compare to the life that Jesus gives us. You know, we lose our appetite for worldly things that just don't last. But the bread of life lasts and it will always satisfy and it will never run out. So just to finish, I want to ask you a question I want to ask, what is your bread? 
You know, what is your worldly bread? Is your bread a substance like drugs, alcohol, food? Do you want the bread of life instead that will always satisfy? Is your bread the approval of others? Do you want the bread of life instead that will always accept and affirm you? Is your bread spending too much time on social media in order to connect with others? Do you want the bread of life instead that will provide you with a connection and a relationship with the King of Kings and the creator of the universe? So whatever your bread is, whatever that worldly bread is that you go to for life, you know, whether it's lots of little things, whether it's a few big things, just take it to God. It says in Acts 3, 19 to 21, it says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know, because of the cross, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, it means that when we repent, you know, when we, when we leave that stuff with God and we, we turn 180 degrees and we walk away from it, he forgives us. He takes whatever that bread is away from us and he replaces it with his, the life that he, he wants to give us. Can I, can I just get the band back up? Is that right? Thank you. So uh, is everyone happy just to stand just before we go into worship? And if you're comfortable, do you want to just put your hands out in front of you? Maybe close your eyes if you're comfortable to do that. And I want to just encourage you. Think of the worldly bread that you've been feasting on for life that isn't Jesus. Have a think about what it is. And just start telling God about it. If you don't know what it is, just ask God what it is and and expect that he'll tell you. And if you want to, just pray and say, God, please forgive me for consuming this worldly bread in order to find life. God, please just take this bread away from me and replace it with you, the bread of life. God, I thank you that you meet all my needs. And in you, I can experience life in all its fullness.